Let's open in prayer as we look at the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you and listen to your word. We ask you to guide and lead as we look at it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 12. And it came to pass while he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be you clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing according to Moses' command for a testimony unto them. But so much more went forth the fame abroad of him, and a great multitude came to hear and to be healed by him for their infirmities. And he withdrew himself alone in the wilderness and prayed. I want to look at this for a moment because this is an interesting statement that we don't really know and understand that much. Um, Because we're starting out with, first off, it says it came to a certain city. So there's a period of time between our last story of the great load of fish that were brought into the boats that almost sunk the boats. They brought in so much fish. Peter and Andrew and and, uh, uh, John were called to follow Jesus. And it says that a man full of leprosy came up to see Jesus. Now, we don't think much about leprosy in our day and age. In America, we've never had much problem with it. In the Middle East and Asia, they've had lots of problems with leprosy in the past. Leprosy is an extremely debilitating disease. We now have a cure for it. They did not have a cure for it back there. Back then, we now know it as a bacterial disease and that they can be healed of it. Back then, it was a death sentence to get leprosy. Uh, This man came to him, and it says he was full of leprosy, which meant that his skin was literally starting to rot away. And this is what leprosy did to you. It started out with little spots all over your body, and then they got infected. And then the worst thing about it, leprosy, was that it got into the nervous system and it destroyed the nerve endings. So most people did not die because of the leprosy. They died because they would cut themselves on their finger, not know that they had cut themselves, and bleed profusely, so they'd either bleed to death or it would be infected over time. The skin would get rotted, and rats and vermin would start eating away their skin, and they would not feel it. So this is what was going on. Leprosy was a horrible disease. As all bacterial diseases, it was infectious. And God told the people that when somebody had leprosy in Leviticus 13, that they were to be sent outside the camp. They weren't allowed to even be around the rest of the people. When the leper came anywhere near you or you came anywhere near the leper, they were to call out, unclean, which was mean stay away. This man came to Jesus. You know, think about this. He's got the disciples around him. He's teaching and a leper shows up in a place that he's not supposed to be. And we don't know how close he got. I'm sure he didn't get overly close because everybody would have been in sheer panic if he had come too close and he calls out Jesus if you will you can you can cleanse me how many of us remember when we called out to Jesus for cleansing because leprosy is used as a picture of sinfulness in our body 
We are sinners separated from God that need to be cleansed. And this is, leprosy is used for that picture. We are so full of disease that God cannot accept us without, without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we need to call out to him, God, we need your help. When we get into sinful activities, even as a, as a saved person, but especially before we're saved, we get so deep into sin that we start losing the sense of the sinfulness of sin. We know we're not happy. We know we're not where we're supposed to be, but we start losing that sense of how bad sin is. The closer we draw to God, the more we realize how sinful sin is. And I think this is very important for us as Christians. Do you know that the easiest place to get uh, disconnected with God is by coming to church? If you come to church just because you have to come to church and you're listening to words and you're not responding... You start getting a hard heart toward God. You start losing those sensitivity of God touching you. The closer we draw to God in our relationship with him, the more we see the sinfulness of sin. Paul stated at the end, in the book of Romans that he was the chiefest of sinners. Now, it's interesting. If you read commentaries, most of them will tell you that Paul was talking about before he was saved. And saying, well, I used to be really bad. I, was, I, I killed Christians. I put them in prison. I disagree completely. I believe Paul was starting to see sin the way God sees sin. And he said, even though I don't seem to have sin according to you, I, I have sin that bothers me. And I hope none of us ever get so close to God that we forget that sin is bad. You know, because sometimes we get rid of all those, you know, by human standards, big sins in our life. And we start thinking, well, I'm pretty good. I no longer do put in whatever it is that you don't do. And I'm pretty good. I've got it all put together. And God says, no, you still have sin. And we need to really get the same picture of sin that God has. God says that sin is sin. God does not break down sins as big sins and little sins. He does not say murder is, ba is really bad and, and you can just don't commit murder. You can tell as many lies as you want, but don't murder is not the way God looks at sin. Jesus said if you've broken any commandment, you've broken all of them. And this is something for us to really understand. We cannot be good enough to please God. The good news is I don't have to be. The good news is he cleans me by his blood. This man with leprosy comes to Jesus and says, if you will, you can clean me. We need to make sure we come to God and say, God, I need your cleansing. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. When we sin, we get out of fellowship with God. Not that God, not that God says we can't be near him. God knows that we have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. But you know what? If you've been in a place where you live by sin, how much do you want to read the Bible? How much do you want to read, go to church? How much do you want to be with other Christians that might just happen to talk about God? You know, it's pretty amazing. You know, when, I've had, when God is dealing with me, with me on something, I've already told you all I love to listen to Christian radio. It's amazing to me how all those Christian pastors got together and planned the same messages all week long when God is dealing with me. 
Now, I know that they haven't, but you know, you understand what I'm saying. When you're dealing with something and you're not dealing with it, God has a way to make sure that you hear all about what you're supposed to be dealing with. Every time you open the Bible, there it is, talking to you about what it is that you're trying to, trying to not deal with. You, you get around Christian friends and they tell you something, and they're not even condemning you. They tell you something and it's right what you're trying to deal with. You come to a Bible study and they start talking about what God is trying to deal with. And you go, okay, God, enough is enough. <laughs> and at that time, you have a choice. You either turn and confess your sin and, and agree with God that you're sinning and repent or you start pulling away from God. And I've seen this over and over at times where people pull away from God. They stop coming to church services. They stop reading their Bible. They stop praying. And three years later, they're going, God, where are you? And God's saying, I'm right where I've always been. You're the one that left. We need to make sure that we are seeking God. And when we get this conviction of what's wrong, that we confess our sins. My hope for everyone in this church is the more you walk with God, the more you realize that you are a sinner because you start seeing sin the way God sees it. Yeah. And I, I find it very interesting that everywhere I look, I see sin around me. Our world is so full of sin, it is really hard. You know, you can't read newspapers, you can't watch television, you can't watch the news, you can't even listen to most music channels without hearing things that are all about sin and this is what we have to do there's this leprosy around us that is trying to infect us now on this man jesus said went to this man and touched him this was something nobody did nobody touched a leper and I can imagine the disciples are going are beside themselves as Jesus is going toward this leper. Uh, Jesus, you're getting too close. Jesus, uh, can't get back here. Uh, Jesus, what do you think you're doing? Nobody touches, you know, nobody goes near. Jesus, what are you touching him for? You know, and we know, I'm sure, I mean, it, the Bible doesn't say that they get criticized him for it, but you know they're going like nuts, you know. Uh, nobody does this. And he reaches out and touches him. And the man, full of leprosy, is immediately cleaned with perfect skin that he's supposed to have. Not rotting off, not, not full of sores, not, not smelly and stinky. And all of a sudden, he's cleaned. You know, can you imagine what that would be like? You know, our video today, I hadn't forgot, thought about this when I was setting it up, but he's talking about them going out to the people that nobody wants to, to minister to. We as Christians need to be reaching out to the people that nobody wants to, to minister to because they need that touch. They need to be touched by the love of God and brought into the service. I want anybody to come into the service. I don't care how they're dressed, what they smell like even. I want them in this service so they can hear about God. And I don't want them judged for coming in. Because you know, one of the things I know is our appearance doesn't matter. It really is what's in the heart. I meet many Christians out of the prison that you all wouldn't talk to probably if you saw them come in the door. Because of all their, their tattoos they're full of and their attitudes and everything, the way they, they act. 
But the one thing when you start talking to them, there are a handful of them that really love God. We need to be able to reach out and say, this person needs to be touched when nobody else wants to touch them. You know, and this is very important because one thing, when you realize how much you've been saved from, it encourages you to reach out. And that's kind of hard for some of us, like myself, who've grown up in the church and didn't go way off into the world. Sometimes it's hard to see that need. But, you know, I also understand that I'm a sinner just as bad as anybody else. In Proverbs, is these seven things God hates, you know, and it's interesting that the very first one is lying lips. <coughs> you know, lying lips. And those who spread gossip. Now, those aren't very high up on our list of bad sins. God says, I hate these things. You know, we would pick murder, adultery, you know, those type of things and put them way up there. And God says, I hate lying lips, gossip. Why? Because God sees sin a whole lot different than we do. He sees it as totally awful at its core. Adam and Eve sinned. And what was their sin? They ate a piece of fruit that God told them not to. And that brought a curse upon all humanity and the entire world. We live in a fallen world with storms and earthquakes and, and all this stuff that, that cause harm. We have all the animals cursed. All the animals were created to live together in peace as herbivores and be friendly with human beings. And man fell and this whole world was brought into chaos because of one sin and a sin that we wouldn't even think that's all that bad well they didn't kill anybody all they did was disobey God we need to really get to the point that when we understand that any disobedience to God no matter how small is an awful sin that deserves consequences and there will always be consequences, and the only way to get past those is to come to God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single person has fallen short of the glory of God, and without Jesus Christ would not be acceptable to God. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can go to him and say, God, forgive me, and I accept you, and he makes us his child, and that changes everything. At that point, he says that we are perfect. Now, I know everybody in this room, we all know we're perfect, right? No, no, we're not perfect, but you know what? God says we are. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God says you are perfect because what he does is he gives us an exchange. He takes our filthy garments covered with sin off. He puts on the righteousness of Christ. And what does he see when he sees us? He sees Jesus Christ. Now, we know we're not perfect, and God knows that, that we have experience that we have to work on, but he says we're perfect. How else does he see us perfect? Well, God is outside of time, so he already knows us as we will be. And you know what? He treats us as we will be, not as we are. You know, and this is the good news. God treats us as what we will be and says, this is my perfect child. Satan comes up to attack us and he says, are you talking about my perfect child down there? And Satan says, yeah, I'm talking about that child that, you, that is not perfect. Let me go give him tests. And the sad thing is for us is that God lets him test us. 
Why? Because he wants us he wants us to know where we're at. The good news is that with his strength we can be successful. We can be victorious. Without Christ, we will not ultimately be victorious. This man comes to Jesus and says, "Will you heal me?" Now, I know the testimony of most of the people in this room say that God has healed you, and I accept that. That is great. A couple people, I don't know your testimony. I don't know where you're at, but most of the people in this room, I know the testimony. And I also don't know who's listening online. There are going to be lots of people online that probably don't know Jesus. But there has to be that point where we surrender our lives to Jesus and say, I want you. I need you. Without him, we cannot approach heaven, and he is Lord and Master. Now, I just want to take a look. Jesus then told him to go to the priest and present yourself and offer the sacrifices. Now, this is something interesting, and I'm going to go into Leviticus chapter 14 to look at what he had to do. Because he was told, when he got healed, he was told three things by Jesus. Number one, don't tell anybody how you were healed. Now, I am sure that he did not obey that a command. <laughs> uh, especially when people are going, well, you, what happened to you yesterday? You know, this morning you, you, were, you were so bad. You know, what happened to you? Uh, probably very difficult thing to not tell somebody. Uh, and yet Jesus told him not to. The second thing he was told was to go show himself to the priests. This man has not been allowed to be inside Jerusalem. He is not allowed inside the temple because of his leprosy. He's now to go talk, tell, tell the priest and, Jesus says, and offer the sacrifices. So we kind of look at this and you're going, well, what is all it all about? Well, we're going to go to the Old Testament and we're going to look at what it was all about. So Leviticus chapter 14, starting at verse 2. This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing, that he shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look and behold if the plague of leprosy be healed of, in the leper. Then shall the priest command to take him that has been cleaned, two birds alive and cleaned in cedar wood and, and scarlet and hyssop. And the priest shall command that the one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water, as for the living bird, it shall, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them into the wood and the hyssop and the scarlet and the living bird and dip them into the blood of the slain bird and the running water and sprinkle it into the, uh, on, in the house, uh, sprinkle the house seven times and he shall be cleansed in the house with the blood of the bird and with the running water and the living bird in which the cedar tree, the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet, he shall let the Go the living bird out of, out of the city into the open field and shall make atonement for the house and it shall be cleaned. God had an entire set of instructions for how to heal, to declare somebody clean of leprosy. And in, if you noted when I first read this, it said, this shall be the rule in the day of the cleaning of the leper. Now all through scripture, we only had one other time before Jesus that a leper was cleaned and that was Naaman, who wasn't even an Israelite. Now, I'm not saying nobody ever got healed of leprosy, but I think it would have been a big deal if somebody in, in, in Israel had. But God already knew that there was going to be a day when lepers would be cleaned. And Jesus healed 
many lepers. I can imagine these poor, poor priests all of a sudden say, we've never done this ceremony ever in our lifetime, and now we're getting to do it all the time. What's going on in this world? Because people were being healed by Jesus. And it's kind of interesting what, what he told them to do. In the Old Testament, they were told, when you get healed, you are to go to the priest, and the priest will go and examine, examine the person and make sure that they are clean of their leprosy. They have been made clean. Their, their skin has been made pure. They, have, they are now able to come into worshiping God. I just want to really bring this connection to leprosy and sin because what happens when we are sinners? We can't really come into the presence of God. It's an amazing thing when somebody does not have the right relationship to God, they do not want to read the Bible. They do not understand the Bible. They don't really want to be with other Christians and other, other people. Have you ever been around the lost world and started talking about Jesus? How fast the subject gets changed? <laughs> you know, or you go give them, you know what God did for me? And they're going, ah, oh, it was just circumstance. It was just coincidence. Let's talk about something other than God. We get around people that, that love God and are called according. Well, let me know. Tell me what God did for you. I really want to hear what God has done for you. And there's this excitement that God is working in your life. You know, when I was a restaurant manager, I used to love coming in and telling my people, you know what God did yesterday? And they would roll their eyes like, okay, he's going to talk about God some more. You know, but you know, it is important. This is a difference between the attitude of this. The leper was to come in and he was to bring two birds a cedar board, scarlet dye, and he was to bring in uh, hyssop. Each of these have very interesting points on it. When we went through this book a long, long time ago, we went over all of these things. One of the birds is killed in an earthen jar. Jesus came to die for us in an earthly body. He died. This whole thing about this cleansing of the leper and the sacrifice is about Jesus. Is about Jesus and his cleansing of, of, of what's going on. And we look at this. He brings in wood. In the Old Testament, when wood is used for healing, wood is used for, for a miracle, it represents the cross. When the people were complaining at the at Miriam because of the at the Mira, excuse me, Mira, because they had no water. What did Moses, the water was bitter. What did Moses do? He took a tree, or probably a branch of a tree, threw it into the bitterness of the water, and it became sweet. The cross coming into our bitterness will teach us that God has a purpose and bring this in. This wood is representing Jesus dying in that earthly vessel. Scarlet represents the blood. And when you read this scarlet, it literally means it was a particular worm called a lilicrocus, which, when crushed, produces a red scarlet dye. It also, when it would produce its fruit or its, its larva, it would lay the eggs in a, in a tree, back to the cross, lay the eggs in a tree, cover the legs and itself with a cocoon, it would cr uh, collapse and the red of it would stain the, the larvae and the tree red. And then the, and their young would hatch and be able to consume the, the, the dye that was created. This is the, what they're talking about. 
The whole thing is a picture. And there's so many pictures of Jesus all through the scriptures, all through what happens. You know, we kind of think of this idea that Jesus just kind of showed up on the, on, at the uh, at, uh, beginning of this um, epoch of A.D. And, and lived and died, and that was the first time he showed up. Jesus has always been. He was with the Father from the beginning. He was the Word. He was the Word spoken at creation. He was before creation. He will be after creation. Uh, when, we, when this world is destroyed, he will still be there, but he has always been with the Father. He is the angel that wrestled with Jacob. He is the angel that talked with Abraham just before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. He is the man in the, in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was the angel in the, in the lion's den with David. Uh, Daniel, excuse me. Uh, he has always been. We cannot get to this idea that Jesus had a beginning. He did not have a beginning. He is God with no beginning. He became flesh at that point in time, but he has no beginning. And this sacrifice was to show the sacrifice and forgiveness of the stain of sin. And then they would take the extra bird dipped in the blood, and give him freedom. When we get saved, we have freedom. It's amazing to me, especially as we're looking in this day and age, how many people want to put themselves under the bondage of laws and rules again. They couldn't keep enough laws and rules to get to heaven, and then when they get saved, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, and yet we go, okay, I get saved by faith, and now I'm going to keep my faith by being good. We have a wrong problem with that. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and sin just to, so we can prove that, prove that God loves us. But no, we don't keep rules to look good. Because the more we keep, the more we realize we don't keep anyway. And it's amazing to me how many people, when they talk about how good they are, do not look at all the stuff they're doing wrong. Now, and I've told you, I, I love it out of the prison. I have so many guys who will talk to me, and, and we'll talk to them, and they go, well, I'm a really good guy. I'm better than most of the people I know. And I'm thinking, it is really good that you're better than most of the other prisoners. Uh, because most people do not look at prisoners when they say that they're better than somebody else. But don't we do the same thing? If we're going to say that we're better than people, we look at the people that, are, that we think are not our equal. We never look at you know, somebody better. We don't look at the Mother Teresas or whoever it is that you picture being the good, good people because there aren't any good people. And this process is something we have to understand as Christians. I hear it all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? You know, that's the wrong question. Because there aren't any good people in God's sight, so the question is, why do good things happen to all of us bad people? And it really is. When we really start understanding who we are without Christ, we know we don't deserve anything. Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness is filthy rags. That means the best things that I can do do not measure up. Do you realize when people stand at the white throne judgment of, Christ, of God, that's the last judgment before death, Haiti, and the angels, the fallen angels, and everybody gets thrown into the lake of fire, 
they will stand before God in their righteousness. Not their sins. In their righteousness. And they're going to, I can almost picture it. God, you look at all the good things I've done, you know, and they look down at themselves full of filthy rags and for the first time ever realize that their righteousness was not enough. Was not enough. If you witness to people, you hear it all the time. Well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. You know, if somebody ever tells you that, there's, there's a real quick answer. You're not. They're not going to like to hear it. And I usually follow it up and neither am I. No one is righteous enough to deserve heaven. It's only because of what Jesus Christ has done. And this is the important thing. We need to fully understand it. And we need to make sure that when we're sharing with the gospel with people, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The only reason we can stand before God is because of what Jesus Christ did for us and the gift that he holds out to us for us to accept. And all we have to do is take that gift. He holds it out to us. If we don't take it, he doesn't just give it to us. Because some people, well, Jesus died for sin, then everybody goes to heaven. No, only those who accept the gift and make him Lord. Very important. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and believe, we shall be saved. Because it is so important. He is Lord. He wants to be Lord in our life. And this is important. When we turn to him, he will become Lord. We will follow him. Not because we're trying to please him, not because we're trying to earn heaven, but because he is Lord. And he is master and he has adopted us into his family. And we want to, to do what he enjoys, not because we're trying to gain favor, but just because we want to please. And this is very important for us. Jesus told this poor leper, go, present yourself and offer the sacrifices. Now, after, after the first sacrifice, there were a lot more sacrifices. If you want to know all the sacrifices, read, read Leviticus 9, uh, 14. But the cleansing sacrifice was so important because it all represented what Jesus did, does. He is the one that cleanses us from our sins. He is the one that clothes us in the righteousness of Christ so that when we stand before God, he gets to say, oh, here's my beautiful children. And do you realize that God calls us his darling ones, his precious ones? You know, if any of you have ever read the verse that says in Peter that he calls us a peculiar people, we think that means strange. No, it means very precious, extremely precious to him. He calls us precious. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't know why God would call me precious. I don't deserve that title in any way, shape, or form. And yet he does. And I've told you, you know, God put this wonderful plan together. Jesus died on the cross so that we could accept that forgiveness and then he would give us everything. Now, I don't understand that. I think he's getting the short end of the stick out of this bargain. Now, here's my whole bunch of sinners and I'm going to cleanse them and bring them to me. Obviously, he doesn't think he's getting the short end of the stick on the deal. He sees something we can't even begin to see. Maybe in heaven we'll begin to see that. But, you know, I also understand. 
How many of you have somebody in your life that you really love that doesn't see themselves as loved by you? Oftentimes it's people in our families. You deeply love them, you care about them, and they don't see that love in any way, shape, or form. They just don't understand what you see in them. I think it's the same thing with God. He sees us in a different way than we see ourselves. We need to learn to be able to see ourselves closer to the way he sees us so that we'll know that we're loved, we're peculiar, we're special. We are so special to him that he died for us so that he could redeem us. That is love that we just can't even begin to fathom. And I think it's very important that we understand this, that we share this with other people that were around us. When we're giving the gospel message, we're letting people know that God loves them. One of the most powerful things you can tell somebody is that God loves you. Now, they're probably going to say, yeah, right, God won't love me, God doesn't care about me, but you can just say God loves you. God loves you so much that Jesus died for your sins. People need to hear that message. Because we're all seeking one very important thing in our life, is that to be loved. All the people out there on the street that don't know him really are looking for love in the bottom line. When it really comes down to it, they're looking for love. They may not even know it. We even have great songs, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. And people understand they're looking for love deep down in their core. And they think they're going to find it in people. How many times do people get married thinking that their spouse is going to be the one that is going to perfectly love them and satisfy everything about that they're missing? If that's why you're getting married, don't get married. Because <laughs> it won't work. Because you're not going to satisfy them and they're not going to completely satisfy you. And if that's what you're looking for, you're in trouble. And yet many people get married for that reason. I'm looking for that love. I'm looking for who's going to fulfill me. The only one that will ever fulfill us is God. And we need to come to him knowing that he's going to be that one that's going to fulfill us. So the challenge for us today is, number one, if you're not saved, get saved. <laughs> you know, plain and simple, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off because the more you say no, the easier it is to say no in the future. But for us as Christians, I'm going to challenge us. We need to look and say, God, I want to know more about how you love me. And God, I want you to teach me to love others that way. What would our church be like if everybody in the church actually loved other people the way Jesus loves each other? There wouldn't be anybody talking about anybody else. There wouldn't be any people judging each other. There would be nobody not helping one another. When there was a true need, people would be right there to help. People would be loving people. You know, I'm going to challenge us. Let's start praying, God, help me to love people the way you love me. And use this when you're witnessing to people. God loves you. One of the greatest verses you can use is the one that nobody even remembers anymore, and we all know it in our, by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Make sure you tell it to people in a way that means something. Don't just blow through it. God loves the world. So much so that he died. So that we could have life. That one verse, if you can't witness to somebody, that one verse is all you need to witness to somebody. Share that verse and explain it a little bit. 
If you can't remember the Romans road, John 3.16 is the gospel in one little verse. Then it goes on to say that we're not condemned, you know, that he didn't come to condemn the world, but that by him the world would be set free. And then we go to the one that we're memorizing this month, that there is no condemnation. For those who have accepted him, there is no condemnation, but those who have not accepted him are already condemned. We need to understand his love and that he is the only way. And we need to really stretch out and start saying, God, teach me to love. Teach me to love. And then be ready for the challenges that God's going to put you when you're asking to be be taught to love. Because when you're asking God to teach you to love, you're going to find somebody that's very hard to love because God's going to say, okay, you wanted to learn to love? Here, Here it is. Here's the person that's going to help you learn to love. Might be a family member. Might be a neighbor. Might be a co-worker. But God's going to say, here's the person that's hard to love, and now I want you to love them. We need to be ready. But I think it's an important challenge for us. Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. If we can't love the body members, we're in trouble. If we can't love the body members that we know were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and are God's children, we're never going to love the outside world. And I don't mean the things they do. I mean love them. They're irritating with their sin. They're irritating with their opinions. They're irritating with their dislike of God. But we need to love them and show them that they're loved. Because love wins people. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Teach us to love others. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that, or in, online listening that doesn't know you, that we ask today that they will recognize that they are a sinner in need of salvation and that they will confess their sin before you and repent of their sin and ask you to fill their life and become your child. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.